to I Think I Like You, a counterintuitive approach to dating and relationships in the digital age. I'm your host, Clara Archwager. I'm a coach, I'm a writer, and I specialize in helping women who are already living really rich lives. They don't view marriage as the be-all, end-all, but they do desire to co-create a life with another, deeply so. They're curious to understand why that hasn't come to fruition thus far and how they can pursue those desires more consciously. In these conversations, some with just me, some with incredible guests, and others with my dear fiance, James, will be in that vein, imbued with curiosity, nuance, and a way of looking at dating and relationships that isn't contained to such a formulaic and stifled lens. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of I Think I Like You, the podcast. Uh, (laughs) I am your host, Clara Archwager, dating and relationship coach, and we are here. It will be April 4th when this episode drops, and the buds are like, they are just bursting here in the Hudson Valley, which is where, where I call home. Yeah. I am really excited about today's episode because it is with a oh, just like longtime favorite of mine. Favorite, you know, follow on the internet. <laughs> Gem of a human being. Um, and we had a great conversation, Daniel Beinstein and I, Danny Beinstein and I. So this will be another go around at some point in time, because even though she is a um, psychological astrologer, I'm going to get a little more into her official bio in a second. We didn't get too much into that. She made some nods to astrology, but she is so much more than just the realm of astrology. And you will really learn that by way of listening to this conversation and this, it's really more of a conversation and less of an interview, but she goes so beautifully into her her life, how she came to the relationship she's in now. She's in her early 40s by way of um, just to just to kind of ground you into that. She grew up in New York City. She has a really fascinating background and speaks so beautifully about how her her life looks nothing <laughs> like she thought it would, and yet it makes all the sense in the world. And we have some really great conversation around what manifests in our life, what comes to be, what we attract, quote unquote. But you could really just think of it as what is happening in our life. It could be in work, in relationship, in love, in body, in money, as sort of day-to-day as like, we haven't been sleeping that well for the last week to we keep attracting the same type of person or relationship to we keep having the same fight with our partner to we keep having the same occurrence in our job, whatever it may be. We have a great conversation around why those things come to be and how get curi- how to get curious about them and better understand them and, and so much more. So why don't I give you all her bio and then I don't know, we're doing this intro just sort of all directions, because I'm going to give you some announcements, some other stuff. So Danielle Beinstein 
is a psychological and intuitive astrologer based in Nashville. She received her master's in spiritual psychology with an emphasis in consciousness, health, and healing in 2014, and offers ongoing private and group consults and facilitation, as well as circles and retreats. You can connect with Danielle and learn more about her offerings at daniellebeinstein.com and for more regular astrological musings or by following her on Instagram. I'm going to link to all of that in the show notes. You'll be able to easily access her website, Instagram, working with her. She's got an amazing retreat. It's right around the corner in Costa Rica. But if you feel like hopping around, um, excuse me, on a plane in the next few weeks, I have to tell you all, I just woke up from a nap before recording this. So maybe my language is a little bit off, but we're going to go with it. Um, yeah, she's got a retreat in Costa Rica. So if you feel like getting on a plane in the next few weeks, then by all means, if I had the ability to do that right now, I most certainly would, especially with, with her. So a wonderful episode. Uh, let's see any housekeeping items. There's going to be a dedicated episode around the retreat that I'm hosting in September in the Hudson Valley this Friday. It's going live this Friday. I've mentioned that a few times. Um, my Instagram is actually the best resource for information there. There is a, a highlight there. The only thing to note, and I'll mention this again in Friday's episode is that the dates have changed slightly. So it's now running from September 13th to the 16th. You can arrive on the 12th if you would like. You will gain access that's all included with um, what you're already paying to this stunning property. Um, So if you would like to spend more time there, if it's easier for you to fly in on the 12th, then it is the 13th. I know some folks are coming from a little bit farther away. So... It's nice to have that that extra time. Anyway, it's officially from the 13th to the 16th or the 12th if you want to arrive early. Uh, coaching spots. I have coaching spots open starting in late April, early May. So if you have been interested in working with me and are curious about that, the best way to go about really learning if the support that you are seeking aligns with the type of work I do and the way in which I work, work with people, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, the best thing to do is schedule a discovery call. That's where you and I just hop on good old Zoom for 30 to 45 minutes and talk about what's going on in your life. And, you know, if by way of that, it makes sense for us to do the type of work I do, then, then we go there. So there's a link to schedule that in the show notes. And just as a point of clarification, I primarily work with women um, both single and coupled. So this is kind of, I think people get the sense by way of the work that I put out there. I mostly work with single women. Um, it's really a mix partially because I will work with people over an extended period of time and they'll get into relationship and then they just work with me on an ongoing basis as a coach. And we get into other areas of their life, or I am still working with them to support the work they're doing in relationship. Or I work with women, um, the dirt, deeper into long-term relationships could be marriage and they are feeling kind of stuck and stifled in that area of their life and unclear as which direction to move in and kind of what changes to make in order to shift how things are landing and feeling internally. Um, and then of course my, my tried and true, uh, women in their thirties and forties who have, perhaps, you know, experienced a fair amount of success or just areas of your life where you're like, I feel like I've got this 
uncovered. I feel like I have a sense of what's going on here. It's largely in the realm of work. You don't have to be completely satisfied by work. I I mentioned last week in the conversation with Megan Heller that you know, we both said she's a career coach more so, but ends up doing a lot of work around dating and relationships and vice versa. My bread and butter is dating and relationships, but I end up doing a lot of work in the space of career just because they're so interrelated. But just to circle that back, if you are single and seeking partnership and still hitting a wall, primarily after having done a fair amount of work on yourself, either traditional therapy or personal development work, and you're still like, what? What gives here? What exactly is going on? That is my jam. So spots available, schedule some time to chat if you're interested. Yeah, I think we're just going to get into today's episode, y'all. It's it's a really good one. I have some really phenomenal episodes coming up in the next few weeks. So as always, if uh, you are new here or if you haven't landed here before, you can always follow along at I think I like you.co on Instagram. If you have thoughts about the show or requests, you can shoot me a DM or you can drop an email. Hello at I think I like you.co. And if you're loving the show, as always, I'm so appreciative if you can pass to a friend and drop a review either on Spotify or iTunes or both, wherever you listen. Uh, that would be wonderful. All right. I hope you all are well. Have a beautiful week. Enjoy the episode. So Danny, as I mentioned before we started recording, I've absorbed a lot of your content. Admittedly, it's like one of those things where if you post a new podcast, I'm like, oh, I love it. <laughs> um, which I hope you take as a, as a huge compliment versus yeah, something creepy. Do. Um, no, I do. <laughs> but you said something a while back. Um, it may have been a month or two ago, whatever time is these days. And my audience might be familiar with this because I, I tend to sort of hook into a concept and then I'm either chewing on it in my own life, I'm bringing it up in session with people. Um, and then I'm, I'm talking about it in these conversations that I'm either having with other people or, or just with myself into a mic. And that was the way you framed how we can have a conscious desire, mm-hmm. but a subconscious need. So, so I want to, I'll say in my frame of work, and I know you know this, it's like a a lot of what I come up against is this conscious desire, let's say, for either partnership in general or Mm -hmm. a relationship to look a certain way or a type of partner Mm -hmm. or a a kind Mm -hmm. of uh, certain unfolding, let's say, Mm -hmm. of life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But then there is this subconscious need at play, Mm -hmm. which I know we both know is running the show. So can you just take us through kind of where, where that came from for you and kind of your, your Mm -hmm. perspective on that? Well, you know, it's a particularly interest to me because my personal and professional life looks nothing like what I anticipated it would, you know, like nothing, like my whole life is like, what? But actually (laughs) it makes a lot of, a lot of sense from that deeper perspective. But if you're looking from the outside, you're like, huh? what's happening there really. And, you know, I just, it's just a particular interest to me because I think people, human beings, especially in our modern world are so much more layered and complex than social media or our kind of Twitter feeds would have us believe. And what we see on the outside 
you know, may, we may make judgments around it, or we may say about someone as a projection from ourselves, oh, this means this means this. But in reality, our lives take shape and hold and form, not so much from what we think we want. Sometimes it does line up. What we think we want is exactly what we get. Sometimes when that happens though, we're not satisfied. I see this a lot with clients. Like they get exactly what they wanted on paper and some, I don't know, I'll hear something is just missing. Something is missing, right? So if we open up really our lives and start examining it from a, what is in my life and what is it fulfilling on a subconscious level? Even if from a conscious level, we say we don't want that. So an easy way, that may all sound very esoteric, an easy way to kind of look at this is I keep meeting this type of person yeah, and I keep getting in this kind of relationship Obviously, there's something about that that's attractive to me. It's Uh fulfilling something, Uh right? So I'll tell you, let's say from my personal journey, uh, kept drawing in much older men, very successful in the world, very unavailable to me. It's a trope you hear a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And I look back, you know, and I was, I became consciously aware of this as the pattern was receding, right? It was like the work that allowed it to recede. But as I look back and I go, oh, like now that I'm in, you know, six year relationship, I was not prepared for intimacy. I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue, right? It was like, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I was projecting outward my power. I wanted someone to validate me by choosing me because they had already become successful. They were validating me. But the underlying subconscious need that it was fulfilling was this need to be siloed. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I'm an I'm not an only child. I'm one of four, but my siblings are eight and 10 years older than me and eight years younger than me. And so psychologically, one would say that I am in many ways, an only child. And a lot of my, there was a lot of family struggles. And so I was, I spent a lot of time alone, a lot of time alone. And so subconsciously, the idea of someone being close and giving me feedback, which my current boyfriend, partner, whatever one does all the time. And it's like, it's taken me a while to receive it because he grew up one of four and they were all in small spaces. I grew up one of four and we were all spread out. And so subconsciously what I really craved was someone there to validate me, but pretty far away. So if they were successful, always traveling, not available, perfectly suited my desire to go to the movies alone, my subconscious move desires, because that's how yeah. I spent my adolescence. Really. I went to the theater alone. I sat at restaurants by myself. I went to move. I was a city kid, you know? And so it's like, consciously, I was saying, I want a partner writing it down every day. Subconsciously, I was like, oh, this is perfect. They have no time mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I get to slight, I get to kind of associate with them and maybe get the, the validation that my conscious, but really I'm getting none of the meat, but that's satisfying me on some level because I get to stay sequestered. Yeah. I mean, 
I think the trope of the token, I continue to attract unavailable individuals, which was myself included, is generally housed in a lot of safety, meaning that there Mm. wasn't safety found by way Mm -hmm. of intimacy and closeness. And that was certainly um, the case for me. And I, as you were describing all that, I was both laughing to myself because my partner is also one of four and they grew up (laughs) very close together. In a very intimate state, and it's very involved. Um, but I was curious your thoughts on because I was the, the age difference in siblings that that mm-hmm. is that is significant. I was closer in age to my younger brother, but I wasn't really emotionally seen. And so even if it was around individuals, I learned to adapt by going inwards or leaving, you know, mm-hmm. being up here or out of my body or whatever yeah. it may be. And so even if there were people around, I was alone a lot of the time in my my own head, in my own thoughts, whatever that manifested as. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious that's hitting me too, in terms of Mm -hmm. it's actually not that safe for someone to get that close because, um, I also am am getting absolutely schooled in intimacy (laughs) right now in, into a marriage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm curious in terms of like the sort of the leaving of the body and like things can be happening around you, but you're so inward. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, there's several aspects to it because my, my siblings without going into it struggled, um, yeah. quite a lot. And so the, the kind of saying in my family was Danny was fine. We don't have to worry about her. That was the thing, right? And so, yeah, yeah, um, same, yeah. There was also something that I learned from that, which was, oh, what if I play victim? What if I play that I'm really not well? Then will I get attention? And I did that for a while, um, a long while, um, until I was like, this actually doesn't feel good. And bringing the astrology in, like I've got a lot of Saturn and Capricorn. What actually feels good is to like take the helm and say, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to walk through the fear and I'm going to be accountable and responsible for myself. But, you know, I don't even know that I would have framed it as it's not safe for someone to get close. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, Like, so I guess maybe that's like the, you know, the part of me that like wanted to be in control. It's like, I don't, like I would watch shows like, you know, God, I love the show Parenthood, which came later in my life oh. or like, this is like, I would watch these shows and I was a voracious reader, but I, and so I kind of had the knowledge and pseudo the wisdom, but n- not really because it wasn't lived. I literally didn't. Well, how do you have that kind of difficult conversation? It's not going to come out as perfectly as in a scripted show, right? Like it's going to come out in fits and starts and it's going to feel weird in the body to articulate something, um, And I just didn't articulate like my, yeah, I didn't even know how to say that hurts my feelings. It was just like, oh, this is what they want. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go, I'm going to be the good soldier. I'm going to go ahead with it. So yes, it didn't feel safe, but I think in a more even practical term, like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to have the conversation. It was like, what? Um, And I was also very you know, without giving to, I was very delayed in terms of, uh, sexual 
engagement mm. and maturity. That, that was also part of, um, that was a physical fear that I had like a, uh, actual, I had a huge fear of physical intimacy and I had no, um, I had no sexual trauma. It was related to other mm-hmm. things, but that for me personally all led to, oh, this is just getting scarier and it's getting scarier. So I'll just let someone who seems to know what they're doing in the world, take the lead. And I needed to walk through that and go through that. And I remember the last bizarre kind of situation I was in, it was just, it was on the emotional side. He was much older. Um, and I confronted him and then he didn't give me what I had wanted, but I can, I did the thing of having the difficult conversation. Yeah. And when he yeah. wouldn't acknowledge it, I got it from the table and I walked away. And that moment changed my life because I had a really difficult conversation. And this was into my thirties that I had been avoiding my whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Oh, that's how you do it. Mm. You have, you just say the thing that you need to say. Like it didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like it didn't even, yeah. it really wasn't until that moment. And frankly, after that, I had a near death experience right. um, in a car accident. And then um, I met my, my now partner and then my career kind of took, but makes sense because I didn't have the experience really to draw from until that moment And that moment, if I think about it, really did change my life, even though that exchange, like that individual really was seemingly inconsequential in my life. That moment I addressed it because that could have gone on, you know, if I was in my twenties, that could have gone on for years that like sidestepping, what are we doing? Maybe I'll become kind of like obsessive and really want to try and get you to choose me and whatever that I had done. Right. And so the subconscious, it's like I broke through the subconscious desire, which was to play that game. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then have the outcome be, I'm not chosen. Yeah. And then I'm siloed. Yeah. 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 Um, and instead, I, and I remember when I was uh, in a lot of prayer and doing a lot of work and saying like, after, especially after my accident, I was like, okay, if I survive this and I'm getting bonus time on this earth, I want to know what it feels like to fall in love. And I'm willing to experience something I've never experienced or would imagine. I literally said that aloud and I got something (laughs) completely different than I would have ever imagined. And it, you know, culturally we're very different. We're different temperamentally. I mean, like in every way we're different. Um, But I, I really do learn and grow in ways that rock me to my core in good ways, not like in a, you know, I'm constantly in distress, just in a way of like, Oh, right. Like this is the way I was conditioned to look at things. This is not necessarily the truth of it. Um, kind of way. And I, for him, you know, so, and we bring different things. It's, it's what we bring to the table that offers security and support to one another is very different and shows up differently. But I would say, yeah, I, you know, I just didn't know what I was doing. And I would watch other people in relation. I would be like, how is this happening? Like, how, wh- what was the beginning step? How did they have the, how did they know that that person was going to continue to call and show up? Because I also, I wasn't even that 
I wasn't even comfortable with the idea. I remember, and I do guide my clients in this, like doing, um, meditations around going to the grocery store together, like planning Thanksgiving together, like the really mundane things of relationship felt foreign to me. And so I had to do a lot of work on that. How did that, and so many sort of questions here, and and I will say too that I love your language of like, I just didn't know what to do because I think even my phrasing of like, there wasn't safety. was like, mm-hmm. has been learned on the other side of like, you know, coaching and therapy and, and, yep. and so much work. Um, but how did that manifest in the early days of relationship? Because I think a lot of people kind of comes back to the, mm-hmm conscious Mm -hmm. desire versus subconscious need this, we could also go in a direction of the things that, um, and I sit side by side with you in this regard, because Mm -hmm. there are things that my partner I'm confronted with and Mm -hmm. he pulls out of me Mm -hmm. that there is a part of me that's like, I don't want to look at that. (laughs) Totally. Totally. But I know I have to, I I know this, this is part of it. Um, I'm curious how you've navigated that. I know I just asked you like 17 questions in one. No. So I think, um, okay. So with him in particular, we met at a coffee shop in Venice, California called Rose Cafe. And I, this is, it's a really funny story because he tells a story of like, he looked over and I was sitting up at this kind of stool and he was waiting in line to order. And he looked over at me and he wanted to start a conversation and I was on my computer and I, he walked up and I was, and this never literally had never happened to me before where I was like, I'm, I want to kiss you. Like that had never in my life happened. Like I was that divorced. From, and so he came up and we started talking, he started talking to me and I was like, he's just so philosophical and interesting. And he had these kind of like adorable boat shoes. And I, we started talking and he'll tell it like, yeah. And then in the middle of the conversation, you went back to your computer. I'd never experienced anything like it. And I was like, I ha- what is going on with it? I have to figure her out. And I was like, oh, I thought we had a great conversation. <laughs> like I was just, it's people who know me well, know that I am completely blind to romantic um, uh, attention, like blind. So someone who'd been cheated on, which wasn't his experience, but he, he also said like, it made me feel so safe because you weren't, you weren't like playing men left. Or, like you just didn't know you didn't take it in. And that was part of my deep, um, lack of self-worth. Um, but he, I pretended I was sick like three times for the first like three dates and canceled. And then he finally was like, listen, um, I'm going to give it one more try. That's what he says. He said, and he stayed on the phone with me for like an hour and a half. And I was like, this guy is so interesting. He's unlike anybody I'd ever met before. And he kind of won me over in that conversation. And then I was like, okay, I remember driving over to our first date and I was like, don't sabotage it. Don't sabotage it. Don't sabotage it (laughs) the whole time. And I sat down and I just, I felt safe with him in a way that I had never felt safety and, you know, in the early part of our date and, and in the early part of our dating, he would offer to do things like acts of service, never experienced that in my life. Never. Like he's so thoughtful to this day. I'm like, it's almost like 
you can take care of you for, I always tell him like, you can take care of you first. Like he's just so thoughtful. He's the Mm. oldest of four. And Mm. he just, he was there. And I just never worried. Was he going to call or was he going to, he just was there. Mm. And that really softened me. And it just, I just kept showing up for it. Mm. That's really what happened. Um, but it was, it was quickly made more comfortable. The stuff that was uncomfortable was a bigger stuff. Uh, grew up in a totally different religion than me, different ethos from New Zealand, like different uh, socioeconomic status, different, like all of different levels of education. Like all of those things were the things that were more challenging for me to grapple with. And I kept returning because in the everyday, I, I just wanted to be near him all the time, Mm. which Mm. sounds so trite, but Mm. I just, as someone who was so used to being alone, it was a revelation. I mean, I've actually been thinking a lot lately about how lonely I was for so much of my life. And I had a Mm. ton of friends. I was mm-hmm. always a person with this, with a ton of friends, but I was really deeply lonely. Um, and people, if I, if I heard that right now, they would be go, you were, yeah, you were all, you, but I was, and I really didn't feel loneliness for the first time. Do you think that there is something to be said for, because it's interesting that you were saying more recently, you've been able to feel into the depth of that loneliness. Yeah. And I certainly see that, seen that in the the work across clients and then within myself where this like season of returning mm-hmm. um, or something there where it's like that, that ability to go deeper, does that connect to something that you're seeing um, sort of cosmically or astrologically or, 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 or just in your perspective? Well, we did have that extended Mars retrograde. I do think uh, it's hard to say because I feel like I'm in my forties now and I feel like it's kind of coming up with that midlife Mm. questioning. So it depends on the client and where they are in their life, not just age, but season. I see my range is so wide in terms of age, in terms of experience, in terms of that it's, I'm not seeing it across the board, but it is something that I'm especially seeing. And maybe this is the mirroring with, uh, women in their forties. So I don't, I don't know, but I do think it is a time of deep nostalgia because everything feels so uncertain and so unsettling. And so I think that's, an element of it too. And I, you know, going back to the loneliness thing, I wouldn't have named it that. I think people would say to me, aren't you lonely? Don't you want to meet someone? And I'd be like, no, I'm fine. I go to, I go to, you know, movies alone and I go to theater alone and I, I go to museums alone and I see friends all the time, but it was that unspoken other thing from the small thing of like, you know, I need you to pick up, can we pick up milk or can you pick up milk on the way home to the deeper thing of planning things together? And it's just experiencing companionship. Mm -hmm. And then I 
did not get physical. I mean, I love my parents. It's I'm making it sound, but I really did not get physical affection. And he is so affectionate. And that those things, I didn't even realize how much I longed for them. And I was chasing this other thing of status and validation and and I was missing the core thing. And once I realized the core thing was sitting and standing in front of me, I, I really did transform. Does it, because I, I think it's so, and I understand just sort of by way of the story that, that you shared with us, how you had, whether it was the wisdom or the knowledge or just the knowing like that you wanted to be close to this individual. And so these other elements maybe they're more egoic in nature, the sort of on paper elements of it has to look like X, Y, and Mm -hmm. Z. Um, I have to imagine in the people that you work with, and I certainly experience it myself, where we're we're fed an idea of what we Mm -hmm. should want. And and we conflate that with what we we do want, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, There are many ways in which my own partner is... I of course love him dearly mm-hmm. and want him to be my partner. <laughs> but there, as I said before, there are ways in which it is confronting. Yeah. Um, he is, you know, I mean, just like uh, sort of one example is like he, he is deeply in his body. He is deeply mm-hmm. connected to the earth. Um, Same. I, I am more floaty <laughs> and I'm up Same. in the air and not as deeply in my body. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and, and he's also incredibly affectionate and there's a part of that affection where it can be too much for me at times. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's just so sad. But I, I know that's also connected to my ability to like soften and receive and ground back into myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious with, um, I guess the people that you work with or maybe your own ability to override those more, maybe they're sort of societally conditioned or egoic, like it should look like X, Y, Z, the partner should look like X, Y, Z. Yeah, or the career. Or the job. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually, yeah, I want to get into your career totally, but carry on. Sorry. I think that's no, no, I just think it's all related. And I think that's a lot of the work that I do, especially with people, you know, I, like I said, I work from all with people from all backgrounds. And I think whatever it is, it is a kind of tribal currency, right? It is a kind mm-hmm. of, um, mm-hmm. I need to exist in this tribal currency, whether it's, academic, financial, religious. And so I really kind of look at it from that vantage point. But the thing also that I think is important to remember is that some people really, that is there where they're supposed to be in something more traditional to that currency that they were raised in. Like not everybody is supposed to buck that. And I work with both. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? I think that it's recognizing a big part of my training and my work is to not project. So this is my story, right? But it doesn't mean it's supposed to be everybody else's story. Like for some people, for me, I really, a big part of my journey was to uh, be self-sustaining because I had, um, because of my family dynamic and my father is the breadwinner and because of uh, all the men that I was kind of chasing after and also because of my core energy evidenced in my chart was that I was supposed to take the reins on that. And that may not be the case for somebody else. They may have to lean into receiving, you know, let's say financial support from a partner. So there's all different kinds of dynamics. And I'm very careful to say that what is meant for my soul journey does not mean it's meant because there's a tendency towards that. This works for me. Therefore it works for you. What I love about it is like, no, that's not the case. Like, 
you know, I have my North node in the second house, like in Leo, I'm supposed to lean into that. Someone may have their North node in the eighth house. They're supposed to lean into the opposite. Right. So it's like, I think I do, I do get clients who are working with that for sure, but I get the spectrum. And I think that's because of my ownership that this is my journey, but not necessarily everybody else's. But I do think a common thing is that resides in almost every human being is, am I doing this because, especially as we get, am I doing this because I was told to do it? Yeah. Because it's right for me. And I may be told to do it and it's right for me. I may be told to do it and it's not right for me, but it's like looking at, looking at that deeper, uh, inner calling and listening to that. And I think that's really the essence of the work that I do. This is just totally off the cuff, but are you just relishing being in your forties? I think there's, there's (laughs) I'm 37 and there's some part, I have a dear friend who has has said, she's like, I just feel like I've been waiting my whole life to turn 40. Um, Oh my God. I love it. I felt like I was always (laughs) waiting to get to this point truly. And I have a lot of my friends in their fifties and they seem even more, you know, comfortable in their skin. And so, yes, I really, it's such a deep and rich time. And I will say one of the things that I have not struggled with is, uh, aging in a physical sense. Mm. Um, I never was able or, you know, for whatever, I never drew, um, any worth from my physical countenance. And so I don't have a thing about aging. I just don't, my mom doesn't, wear makeup and she's never spent a lot of time on that. Um, although she always has her hair and her nails done, but she just was not a lot. I didn't grow up with that as a, as a model. And I have older sisters who aren't, that's not their focus either. Um, but the world I grew up in is very, and a lot of people that I know are very concerned about physical aging. I don't have that. Uh, to me, it's a privilege, especially after my accident to be on this earth. And I just always love those older women who are like luminescent and lit from within that kind of Mm -hmm. European, that just, that's just what resonates with me. So from that angle, I don't struggle with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's not to say I won't when I'm older, but it's just not something, but the richness and depth that I feel of experience and wisdom and how much effort I, you know, we were talking about Dar Williams who lives in your town, right? My favorite, she has a great, she has a song called the easy way. And one of the lines in the song is like, Oh God, I'm going to butcher it. But like, I've never taken the easy way. So can you take it on a little easy on me now? Like I've never, I've always Mm -hmm. taken the harder route. I think it's all that Mm -hmm. Saturn and Capricorn I have. Um, And so I really, I really feel like I've earned this moment in my life. And that's, you know, life is peaks and valleys, but you know, this thing with imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. I don't really feel that either because what I, my work is really in my heart and there's no imposter in my heart. And I live from a place I really do, you know, I'm human. I really do try and live from a place of like, I'm doing the best I can you know, we all have our struggles and I really did work very hard to get 
here. So I don't, I really am relishing it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it probably has, in terms of what you're describing, probably why I feel that sort of delight. And I don't doubt that, Mm. you know, God willing, when I'm sitting at 48 and and heading towards 50, that that the same thing will exist, right? But it is that just like, oh, like the bad, like the heaviness is coming off of of the proving and the things that I must. And there's forward motion, but it's it's um, it's not propellant, yeah. And it's not like it's not like a cannonball that feels like it needs to shoot out. The (laughs) the learnings are more subtle, and I actually do feel a lot lighter and younger now than Mm. I did definitely in my thirties and twenties. Um, and really since I was a small child, I feel like I'm, you know, there's a silliness that I think being my relationship has allowed to come out that I am certain with any of those other men would not have come out. Like I am silly and ridiculous and ridiculous with my dogs. And like, you know, full of, you know, laughter, like I dance, you know, in the, and I am not a dance, like I am not in my body. Right. But like, I do these ridiculous dances and I like, you know, spontaneously when he's not driving me crazy, my partner in the middle of the day, like I really do have that levity that took a lot of work. And a lot of people just have that and God bless them. That was not, maybe it it was there in my childlike self got so buried under, Mm -hmm. you know, pursuit of intellect and thought and seriousness and all that. And that exists within me, but the levity that has come with being, getting to this point and keep, you know, I made a lot of bizarre choices in my life, but they were my choices. So I Mm -hmm. own them. And I own my failures because I made the choice and I took the leap, right? So that's all part of it too. And I think as I've gotten older, it's like, I don't hold on so tightly. Like I'm so, I'm so blessed. I love what I do. And I've been doing it, let's say since 2014, kind of full time, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would love to do it for, but like, maybe I'll open a coffee shop in my fifties. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe like, I don't know. And I think when I hold things with that, um, lightness too, Mm -hmm. like I, I don't feel like I have anything to prove anymore. And that's the biggest release. Yeah. But I did all the things like I did my dad, you know, he's like, what the F are you doing? What the (laughs) F are you doing? And then he called me the other day because he went, he went into a store in Colorado and there was something related to like, um, my family, my name was on it. And he's like, the woman that helped me knew who you were and she was freaking out. And I was like, um, I was like, okay. And he was so excited. He said, I don't know what the hell you do, but apparently it's good, you know? And I, so I did that, you know, mm-hmm. and I am with someone that people would just be like, it's so different. And so I, I walk through those things and I'm on the other side of them and I'm okay. And I'm still standing and I can pay my electric bill and I've, you know, been able to travel, which was a dream and it's a good life. Like I, I don't have this addiction to moreness more. If anything, it's around travel, but now that I have my dogs, it's, it's harder and harder to leave them, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
I do fear if I ever were to have a kid, if that's were to happen, like I, oh my God, leaving them would be, I like, I, I'd be an attachment parent just out of default, not out of theory, <laughs> like just out of like, oy. um, but I, uh, yeah. And so, but I have to credit Daniel because that grounding and that love and I chose it, right? I could have easily said none of this yeah. fits. None of this fits. This is not the life I wanted or thought I should have. Um, but I didn't. I, I, it's like, you know, a cheesy 80s song. Like I listened to my heart. I, um, gosh, I, I mean, I, I've known of your story, but, and I, I had a tinge of just given your background and having grown up in New York and I, in terms of the work that you do and your dad's reaction in that way. Um, the hardest person, when I, I transitioned to coaching five years ago, the hardest person to tell um, that I was going to be going down this path was, was my mother. Um, mm-hmm. And my father would have been included in that, but he had already passed. And so, um, and so it's so interesting because I very much was of the family. It was like, you don't go get some training in that way. You like, you go get your PhD yeah. at Harvard and yeah. exactly. whatever it may be. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, it was terrifying mm-hmm. to walk through that. And admittedly in, in the areas of, of growth and, and sort of moving into new directions of work, I am still at that door again of like, yeah. Oh, this isn't what they would have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I just saw my mother this morning. My mother loves me. My mother's excited for me. She kind of understands what I do. Um, she thinks I share way too much of my life on the internet. She doesn't say outwardly. It's in a very, like, she feels we're in an era of oversharing, which is just mm-hmm. us being, you know, passive aggressive and waspy. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm like, I get it, mom. Like you think I share too much on the internet. Like I would totally get it. Um, but yeah, you know, the, just the the way that you frame that, because I have lots of conversations with people where they're like, and then I went off and I did the thing that was scary and looks weird from the outside looking in, but I'm successful. It's, it's really hard. And the way you talked about walking through mm-hmm. each of those things and, and admittedly, I, I, it's a, it sounds from what you've shared, like a similar thing, but my husband and I, very different socioeconomic background, mm-hmm. very different background in general. He's also, you know, part Hispanic. So it's mm-hmm. like, there's a very like clan, like mm-hmm. vibe mm-hmm. to their family. Mm-hmm. And I, I watch them in ways and I'm just like, what's all happening here? And he'll be like, <laughs> James, it'll be like, you don't really speak much at dinner. I'm like, yeah, I'm just ob- I'm observing like the beauty and the love. Mm-hmm. And then at times I'm like, I need some fucking space. Yes. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, anyway, so, you know, just to, the way you describe wa- walking, th- doing those things, making those decisions, I don't doubt there was a point in, in the decision to do the work that you do. And I think, I feel like for the sake of this, you should probably walk folks through like the logistics or the, the actual details of that. Yeah. But like, there was a point where you had to face your dad or your mom or whoever. And they were like, I, what? Like, I don't exactly support this. I, I don't know. I'm cu- yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, up until after my accident, I was like, maybe I'll go back to law school, like, which was always in the back yes, of my mind because I was yes, kind of a right. philosophy major and I, I yeah. fascinated by the law and my college professors always thought I was going to be some, that or a writer, you know, which I guess I am. You are a writer. I'm a, I mean, I'm a writer. Yeah. You're a writer. But 
I, so 20, about 29 years old, I'm working in Hollywood, uh, had always loved stories, had always loved film and, you know, went out to LA to maybe get into screenwriting, ended up working for entertainment lawyers and producers and that kind of thing, but nothing ever gelled. It never stuck, but I kept working for these kind of older successful men and ah, interesting. they kind of mentored me and it was just all kind of, you know, part of that Hollywood thing, right? I was like young and these older successful men and I was outsourcing my power and I had gotten involved when I landed with this older man and he had some material and I had some material and it to work through. And he was in his forties and I was in my twenties. And anyway, that all crashed and burned and actually we're friends now, which is a really beautiful thing. Mm. Um, but it was tumultuous to say the late, to say the least. Right. And, landed me in a 12 step program and uh, not for substance abuse, but for, uh, something called, well, kind of love addiction and, and love. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Totally. Landed me in that. And I, I was like, okay, this is close, but this is not really what I need exactly. And so I went and I got this master's in spiritual psychology, really getting it for me to lay a new foundation for myself. It was right around mm-hmm. my Saturn return. If your followers know about that, yep. which happens yep. around 29. Right. And I entered into that program, still think I was going to be in media in some way. And I was like, Oh, maybe I'll be in social emotional. My first job out of college had been at scholastic. And so I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, maybe I'll be in social emotional, um, education and technology. And so started kind of working in that kind of freelancing Interesting. in that department and simultaneously started these circles with my dear friend, Paula, who's a doula in Venice. And I would talk about the astrology and we would kind of co-lead these circles and people started asking me to do readings. And I'd been studying astrology kind of privately since I was 19, since college. Mm-hmm. And I started doing it and it just kind of started taking off. And then I started teaching meditation at Unplug and which is a studio in yeah. Los Angeles. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then I got these crazy bed bugs. I had to leave my apartment and I ended up on my sister's couch and I ended up on my sister's couch for a while, like a few years. And I was doing all these things and I would house sit here and there and uh, basically built a business from there. But yeah, my family was like, what are you doing? Like they were just <laughs> like, what are you doing? And then, um, And then it really, in 2000, would have been 2000, end of 2017, Mm -hmm. 2018, it started to kind of come together. Uh, But that was, it was a few years of living on a couch and, and I was my sister took me in, God bless her. Um, And she's like this, my, she's stable. And, but actually because of our age difference and I was obsessed with her closet when I was little and she would kick me out of her room. It actually allowed us to bond in a whole new Mm. way and Mm. really allowed us to, there were some really tough moments in that, but really I think strengthened our relationship as sisters. 
Because I was no longer just the little sister, even though I was living on her couch, there was a kind of having to understand me and know me as an adult and me know her as an adult. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the silver lining of that. But that's, that's how it happened. And it wasn't, you know, I've had people reach out to me and they're like, what was your strategy? And I had no strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I had no strategy. Um, I, it was just something, and it was something that I fought and fought and fought. Yes. And it was before astrology was cool, to be honest. Like I started, you know, before it was like the yeah. thing. And then I combined it with my master's program and here we are. But it was, a, it was, my thirties were very rocky. Uh, mm. And I did not leave the country for 11 years and traveling is like my, and all, you know, all I would do is like, okay, one day I'm going to get to travel again. And one day I'm going to get to travel mm-hmm. again. And when I met Daniel, he loved to travel and he had lived in Thailand and he had, um, he had traveled a lot. And so that was something that we were both really drawn to. And that was another thing we had to work out. We traveled differently, but I learned so much from the way that he traveled, mm-hmm. but I didn't, you know, it was not, instantaneous. I waited 11 years to start traveling abroad, which was like, I'd studied abroad in Florence, Italy, and I had gotten to travel a bunch with my family, but you know, it was not instantaneous. I had to build it up. Um, and I had to build up, you know, buying a home and, you know, these things. So I feel like my forties feel really well-earned. I mean, Mm -hmm. some people catapult to success and they get all those things early. That was not my journey. Um, but I think it's also served me in terms of being able to counsel people, you know, in an age of instant gratification on all things. Like in my relationship, like we say it took, it takes a lot of work because it's, um, we had to do the heavy lifting early on because the immediate things of like, all those factors that we discussed weren't there. You know, we don't even have similar references, like, you know, like in terms of like the movies or pop culture that we followed as kids was also different. So it was, it's been, it's been a lot of work, but meaningful, rich, deep work. And the reward feels so rich because of it. You said something that was a while back, and I, I do want to be mindful of our time, but you mentioned just getting into astrology in college at 19. Yeah. And do you have a sense of what led you there, like what your heart was yearning for? No, I mean, the only thing I can start to think is that, so 19 is the North Node return. So looking back, mm. it was, and then 37 was when my career took off. So it was like planting the soul seeds. Mm. I was just, I can't remember, you know, if it was, during my freshman year of college or the summer after I was living in San Francisco in that summer, both my sisters had at that point lived out in San Francisco and I went out to go stay with them and check it out. And that point it was the first dot-com bubble. It was the late nineties. So the first dot-com bubble was starting to pop and burst, but it, San Francisco was still like city lights bookstore and Allen Ginsberg. And yeah. I took my first yoga class and I sat at a cafe and this random dude gave me Jew in the Lotus. And like, I was, <laughs> which is about Jews turning to Buddhism. And I, you know, started to study all of that. 
And I can't remember if it was that freshman year, which I was in Washington, D.C. before transferring out of that school because it wasn't a fit. But I spent a ton of time alone that freshman year and spent a ton of time at bookstores and this cafe across from the White House, which I don't think is there, where I had this like surrogate grandpa who took me under his wing. It was amazing. And I actually, his girlfriend at the time was the novelist Ann Tyler. And so like, I was like obsessed with books and he took me to meet her in Baltimore. And then I ended up nannying for her daughter in San Francisco. Like it was all these kind of chain of events that had a huge, and then he introduced me when I moved back up to New York for the remainder of college to all of these interesting people in the food world um, in New York city. And that changed my life. And so there are all these, you know, that's why it's like, okay, yeah, that school wasn't right for me, but that experience in DC opened me up. And so I can't remember if it was when I was, in a bookstore there and stumbled upon astrology or, or when I was in that summer, that, that whole time in my life um, was the beginning of letting go of everything that I had been raised with and starting mm. to make a way for a new world. But it, t- I mean, that was 19 and yeah. <laughs> it took a long I, time. I, I think I had known that you went to NYU. Mm-hmm. Was it? But yeah, I didn't know, it. I spent, a, I lived a few years in DC in my twenties and just you saying you were in, I was like, yeah, I can see how DC didn't <laughs> land for you. <laughs> well, but I want, I thought I wanted to be in politics because of, I was obsessed with the West wing and I started, oh, I started yeah. in the New York times when I was 12 and the op-ed pages. And I would sit at this cafe called Breadline. I don't know if it's still there. And I would like see like David Gregory walk in with Mm. his, you know, news. And at that point I was like deeply entrenched in like the media and, and just like, Oh, this is how I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to take my love of story and uh, my love of writing and, and combine it. And so that's what led me to do, but it really was not my place, but I, but the city is actually beautiful and people underestimate you know, all the museums are free. Like as a student, I went to a different museum every weekend and I, the Kennedy center and like Georgetown is gorgeous and Capitol Mm -hmm. Hill. Like it's a, and Adams Morgan, like there's a lot there as a city and as a lover of history, like the Mm. dork in me loved it, but it's not, it's, it wasn't the place for me long-term, but I did. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad I got that year there. Yeah. Ugh. We could, we could go on endlessly because the way in which you speak about the pieces, I mean, and I've heard this in your work before, and I also know it comes with time and age and experience, but yeah. that ability to navigate, um, there's uncertainty or like, I'm going to go over here and then I'm going to go over here and do this thing. And I'm, I'm, or I'm going to stop doing that job and just sort of let the chips fall where they fall. Um, is it, it's, a, it's a skill. And I, and I have, I, yeah, I mean, I guess obviously being in a near death accident, that would have been your early thirties, right? Yeah. Well, no, I, uh, just shy of my 36th birthday. Okay. So mid thirties, I think I have to credit my dad for that piece because my dad is formally uneducated and built a business basically on instinct and like, he's a Sag, (laughs) just optimism and kind of like, this is what I got to do. I mean, he grew up in poverty. He's like, this is what I got to do. And I, you know, it was so important to him that we all have a stellar education and we got it, you know, private schools and, and college and all of that. And it's incredible. But I say to him, I'm like, 
I actually followed more in your footsteps, in your way of doing things, in your not mm. working for someone else and you crafting your own business, the education. And I was a dork. Like I loved school. I, I never missed a single day or class. Like I <laughs> loved school and nothing was handed in late. Like I was Virgo and teacher pet, but I really, you know, in terms of my, how I actually live my life, um, I took a lot from his book. Um, you know, in terms of needing to work for myself and charting my own course. And he was given an opportunity, you know, to move to Hong Kong and build his business. And that's where they lived with my sisters before I was born. And my mom was like, okay, like we're going to Hong Kong. And like that there's, you know, there's that element that I got from him. No, no doubt. So the, you know, the apple, it doesn't fall too far from the tree, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, um, we're very different and I'm the next generation and all of that, but that's definitely there. You know, my dad's a people person and my parents are very psychologically interested in, you know, um, I grew up going to the theater all the time. They took me all the time to the theater. And, um, so it's there. It's, I didn't, I didn't totally, I didn't come from nowhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I'm Totally. And and I think um, not to take us maybe be another conversation, but it's like, I relate very much to that. I started to see how the primarily the elements of my father have shown up in, it's like, um, it's a different channel. It's a different path. The work that he did and what he created doesn't look like anything what I do, but like there's a spirit and an approach. Yep. Um, and a way of being that was, was certainly picked up and made possible by him because of, because of what I, what I yeah. absorbed. Um, Tony Robbins gosh. says, if you get blame for the bad, you got to blame for the good. It's one of like, yeah. which I love, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, I could eat up all of your time, mm-hmm. Danny, but in the interest of <laughs> what's, um, you have, some, I mean, I know you do the readings and when you talk about how yeah. you work with people, but you also have some pretty incredible, like more integrated hands on, I don't know if you would call it yeah. coaching, but guided yeah. work. So yeah. Can you talk about that? So I do, um, individual, like working one-on-one, um, with people and it's a, just a deeper scaffolding and you can go deeper. There's one thing about doing a reading, but there's another holding yeah. someone's hand and the gentle accountability that comes with that. And then all bringing all the tools that I have, uh, to the table. And that's three months can be six months or a year, but you know, starting at three months. And then I have both a three month group that actually start, I don't know how soon this is going on. It starts on Thursday and that's, um, a group container. So showing up, it's going to be intimate, but group. And then I have another intimate one, but it's a hybrid that's six months long. That's Mm. one-on-one and group. We just finished up the last one. It was an intimate group. It was wild to see the synchronicities and how like I could have never planned. And we talked about in our last meeting from the outside, you would see these three people and go, what do these three people have in common? But then as we dug Mm. under, you saw there were such deep reasoning why these you know, people showed up in this container. So I really love them because they're intimate. They're not yeah. huge groups. Um, the astrology 101 where I'm teaching people astrology, that's a bigger group because that's, it's interactive, but it's more, it, it's not really personal. People bring in their personal stories as we, we, you know, we're discussing the signs and all of that, but uh, that's more to teach. 
the astrology mm-hmm. and my approach to it, but these containers, cosmic rooting and breakthrough, which are the spring mm-hmm. ones. And then Venus yeah. rising is the um, individual one-on-one. And then I have a retreat in Costa Rica, April 19th to 24th, yeah. which you is going to be incredible. I know this will go live next week. We're recording, okay. we're recording on March 27th. So it will go live in, in early April. So yeah. there actually is for some of that still, I mean, for yes. many of it, but then even like the retreat, cause I think you had a few spots. Yes. April 19th. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, we do. And, and the, um, the breakthrough, the early bird pricing ends April 15th and we don't start until May. So oh, there's perfect. plenty of time for that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh my I, God. I, thank you. I, I love um, talking to you. This, um, you know, I really appreciate the space that you hold. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I mean, obviously there's like raved about you in the intro to the episode, but it, but I really do. Um, it's hard to sort of put an exact finger on it, but I just can tell by way of this sort of whatever the experience was of your life and then the passion for certain subjects and then the way that's made manifest in the way you speak of the world mm. and you, mm. and you speak of the, just sort of the, the way of being a human being is, um, <laughs> incredible. It's really incredible. Mm. Um, so thank you. Thank you so My much. My pleasure. 